This is the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. The life of a private detective is, I suppose, a little more unpredictable than most. Your daily routine is something less than routine. It is often dull, but never monotonous. And unlike your modern office worker who looks on in secret envy at what he imagines is a thrill-a-minute occupation, a detective does not know what he will be doing in a month, in a year, or in twenty years when some fool presents him with a gold watch and shows him the door. And don't get me wrong, all of this I find good. But it is, as all good things are, at least partly an illusion. The truth of the matter is that there are really only so many reasons that a person knocks on the grey-green door that bears the letters Justice and Dixon Private Investigations. Someone has lost something, or someone has lost someone. Person A has reason to believe that person B is stepping out behind their backs, while person C is being blackmailed for the same activity. Life's rich pageant and there was no sense in pretending that it didn't get to be a little predictable after a certain amount of time had passed. But that, too, was part of the charm of the position. People come to you when they were at their most vulnerable, their most uncertain, and while you may have heard it all a million times before, they took your manner for a steely resolve and an ability to deal with anything that might arise. In truth, you may have simply been thinking about what to have for lunch, and that was mostly because there was a new lunch counter around the corner that had a meatloaf special that could make a grown man weep. In fact, I had just come to the conclusion that the morning was close enough to over that it would be perfectly acceptable for me to head over and claim my plate before the rush when the door opened to reveal the shrinking violet that was shortly to call herself our client. Which one of you is the detective? He is. She is. You were thinking about the meatloaf again, weren't you? Oh, like you weren't. I'm sorry, I wasn't really listening. Have you managed to come to some sort of a conclusion? We are both, in fact, the detective. The definite article, as it were. Hence the two names on the door. Yes, I assumed as much. You needn't look quite so pleased with yourselves. May I sit? What? Sit. I assume this is where prospective clients sit, while they spin their yarns in the parlance of our times. What? It is, and you may. How can we help you, Miss... Doctor. Uh, I beg your pardon? I have PhDs in both biology and paleontology. If you must address me by an honorific, doctor would be more appropriate than miss. I see. And I apologize, doctor. In fact, I was dangling the term miss by way of encouraging you to fill in the blank with the rest of your name. I know what you are doing. And you can see, I hope, that it would be a little impractical for me to open that sort of discussion with doctor. I don't see why. Because very few of the people who walk through our door and sit in that chair have PhDs in biology and... What was the other one? Paleontology. The study of prehistoric life. As you say, we don't get many of those. Really? Well, I suppose the sphere of our acquaintance must be very different, Mr. Justice. Well, I... How did you know I was Justice and not Dixon? You are the male. 
It is typical for the male to insist upon the primary identifier, while the female is reduced to the subordinate position. Ah, sing it, sister. You are not helping. What do you need help with, precious? Well, I still haven't established her name. Right. I'll handle this. What is your name? Dr. Susan Cord. And I don't think I like your tone. Well, Dr. Susan Cord, it is my experience that some people get so wrapped up in their own cleverness that in a functional sense they become not unlike mentally concussed children. And I talk to them as such until they learn to mind their manners and fake a little humanity. And if you don't like it, there's a door. I am, as you might have gathered, Miss Dixon. But if you intend to stay, you may call me Trixie. I suppose I deserve that. Well, as long as we're all in agreement. I'll make some coffee. Oh, he makes the coffee. I hadn't pegged detectives for that sort of modern arrangement. There's nothing modern about it. The percolator is his territory. If I go near it, he beats his chest and throws bananas around the cage. Quite. How can we help you, Dr. Cord? Cordophis. Oh, good. You know what that is? Not in the least. It is a species of prehistoric snake, which lived in the late Cretaceous period, approximately 75 million years ago. Its name is taken from the Greek word for snake and the name of my late father, Dr. Nathan Cord, who discovered the species and developed the description of the genus from a single fossil specimen. I see. Trixie, would you like to ask? All right. Dr. Cord? Yes. We're kind of waiting for the bit where this dead snake needs to have its wife followed or something. Ah, yes, of course. You would like me to cut to the chase, as they say? Do they? The study of prehistoric snakes is not the best-trod path of paleontology. My father's life work was spent unearthing and classifying obscure footnotes in our ancient history. Even his own daughter was always much more interested in dinosaurs. Well, who isn't? But Cordophus was his pride and joy, his greatest achievement, as it were. The son he never had. That must have made Thanksgiving dinner awkward. You joke, but there is an element of truth to it all. I knew no matter what I did, I could never live up to that snake. But, in spite of that, as his sole heir, it falls to me to protect his legacy. Ah, okay, I understood that last part. There is a movement, or at least a school of thought, within taxonomic circles towards simplification, to, wherever possible, remove unnecessary duplication from evolutionary family trees. Mm, too bad you already used the Thanksgiving line. Would have worked there, too. There is a group at the university led by a professor, Theodore Todd, who have published a paper suggesting that Cordophis is insufficiently unique to maintain its designation as a separate species and that it should be reclassified as an example of a species identified a decade earlier by the professor's uncle, Dr. Calvin Todd. Is this a family vendetta of paleontologists? If you like. Certainly my father and the late Dr. Todd were rivals. I suspect, however, that Theodore's motivations may stem from the fact that I spurned his physical advances. Because he doesn't have tenure? That, and the fact that he is a creepy little thing. You'll meet him soon. Oh, good. Why is that? The remains of Cordophis have been held at the British Museum for many years. No doubt when he wrote his childish paper, Professor Todd felt it unlikely that the original fossils would be made available for study. I have arranged for exactly that. A neutral third party of great esteem is to examine the skull and pelvic girdle of Cordophis when they arrive. 
I am confident that they will uphold my father's findings. Wait, why would a snake have a pelvic girdle? This snake had hind legs. Did he know he was a snake and not a broken lizard? How much time do you have? I retract my question. The remains will arrive by air tomorrow morning. I feel certain that Theodore and his cronies will attempt to interfere with the transport of the fossils in an attempt to avoid the academic disgrace that will surely follow. I wish to engage your agency to act as courier and to protect Cordophus until he is in safe hands. We get $39 a day plus expenses and we'll need two days in advance. I would not think the job would take more than a few hours. Makes it easier than billing for expenses later. The balance will... Of course. Be refunded in due course. That is acceptable. Dr. Cord, you've got yourself a pair of snake-sitters. And so it went. For all the classic elements of love rebuked and ancient family feuds, it seemed like a pretty simple job. Step one, drive to the airport. Step two, sign for parcel. Step three, deliver said parcel to a Dr. Martin Oblonsky at the university, the aforementioned neutral third party. Step four, go to Jimmy Wong's and think of ways to pad expense report with receipt for chop suey and egg rolls. Dead simple, right? Anybody? Yeah, I thought so. I don't know if you've ever been to the priority package desk at the airport, but it is safe to say that it's more or less like going to the post office, if they made the post office far away, hard to get to, and sucked any sense of charm or whimsy out of it. It had all the atmosphere of a roadside toilet, and I made a mental note not to build a summer home there. Jack sidled up to the desk like he was a cowboy entering a saloon, and presented the letter of authorization that proclaimed us to be the official guardians of... Cord... Dofus and his fossilized pelvic girdle, which, by the way, is a phrase I never want to be associated with me, even 75 million years from now. The whole transaction went about as well as you might expect. What do you mean it isn't here? Sir, I will ask you please not to raise your voice. Sonny Jim, I will raise more than my voice if you do not produce my package on the double quick. I have told you, sir, the package was picked up and signed for ten minutes ago. Who signed for it? I cannot release that information. You can release valuable property to the wrong person, but you can't tell us who that was? He had a letter himself on university letterhead. It was signed. Everything appeared to be in order. Listen, pinhead. Jack, ten minutes. They're still in the airport. Right. Don't relax, princess. I'm coming back to get you fired later. Give me a large manila envelope and a pen. I beg your pardon. Give them to me now or I will shoot you in the head. Yes, I I understand. What are you doing? Stuff that full of waybills, forms, whatever's handy. Then write Professor Theodore Todd, personal and confidential on it, and meet me at the Air France desk. I had a general idea of where we were going with this, and it seemed like a waste of time. Who on earth was going to be dumb enough to fall for this one? But I did it, if for no other reason than I didn't have another less stupid idea. Which is a little scary when you think about it. At least for me. But we didn't know what Theodore Todd or any of his supposed hench scientists looked like, and we were running out of time. Even given the size of the terminal and complexity of navigating it successfully, we were almost at the point where any plan depended upon somebody stopping to use the little paleontologist's room, and in general, when pulling a heist, it is advisable to go before you leave home. By the time I got over to Air France, Jack had already charmed a little cupcake behind the desk. It was intensely disappointing, as she seemed like an otherwise sensible girl with no obvious vision problems. But she took the envelope and paged Professor Todd like a good girl, and Squarejaw and I retired to a spot just out of view to wait. 
It took almost ten minutes for the little guy to appear, and I confess that I was getting antsy. But when we saw him, I knew we were golden. He looked like a dormouse, approaching the Air France desk in fits and starts, his gaze shifting around as if he were sniffing the air to avoid a predator. In reality, of course, he was only attracting attention to himself in his efforts to remain inconspicuous, but you'd be surprised how often that was the case. The little man straightened his tweed jacket and walked right up to the girl behind the desk, blinking hard as if blinded by her big brown eyes and many sparkling white teeth. For a moment, he looked like he might have an accident. But he must have successfully identified himself, because the mademoiselle handed him Professor Todd's personal effects and beamed at him in a manner that made me realize she might not have been as enchanted with yours truly as I might, for a moment, have believed. Alas. He took the bundle. Let's move. Take it easy. We can't just tackle him in the terminal. Why not? Jeez, he moves pretty quick for a guy with leather patches on his elbows, don't he? He also sticks out like a sore thumb. We're not going to lose him. No closer than this. What's with the subtlety? Let's just shake him down and be on our merry way. Do you see a package? A what? He beats us to the courier counter and picks up the package with the leggy snake in it. Do you see a leggy snake? Maybe it's little. Maybe they only sent the two bits. It's millions of years old and the only one of its kind. Do you think they slipped it into a manila envelope and wrote fragile on it in fountain pen? This thing came in a box and this anemic is not carrying it. The client said her ex wrote his paper with a group. Think that's the scientific term for a gang? Doesn't matter. We catch Professor Todd in the act of stealing the fossil and he's done. Let's grab him. That's not Professor Todd. What do you mean? He's too young. Besides, Professor Todd would have opened the envelope. He would have known it wasn't his and he would have run, not walked away. This little princess is bringing him his mail. Uh, They send the low man on the totem pole just in case it was a trap. Sure. He couldn't have somebody calling out his name over a loudspeaker when our client showed up and discovered the thingus was gone. But that doesn't mean he was going to come back and collect it himself. He spotted us. You were staring holes in the back of his head. I was trying not to lose him. If we get beat by a grad student, we might have to move to another city. If he runs, we're in trouble. If he says boo to a cop, we're in trouble. Let's do this in a more cinematic fashion. Excellent choice. Slow down, Professor. We just want to have a word with you. Uh, I'm not Professor Todd. I'm uh, I'm just an assistant researcher. Uh Uh-huh. Keep calm, assistant researcher. Smile at the pretty girl on your left. What? Hello, sweetie. Did you have a good trip? Let her take your arm. She has a gun in your ribs. Oh, God. Focus, kid. Focus. What's your name? My... Foley. James Foley. They call you Jim or James? This place is is full of cops. You can't just... Yes, I can, Jimmy. Because all these cops won't do you any good if we put a hole in you. They might catch us, but you'll still be dead. Oh, God. Smile at the pretty girl, Jimmy. Didn't you miss me? Didn't I... You have pretty eyes behind those Coke bottle glasses, you know that? I do? Where are your friends? What? Professor Todd sent you back to get whatever it was he lost. Yes. Where are they waiting for you? Right out this door. We have a car. This way. All right. You're going to be nice and calm, aren't you, Jimmy? I guess so. He guesses so. You're a cute little chew toy, Jimmy. But I will shoot you if you make me. You will? You know I will. And I think you like it. I think you like it a lot. Easy, girl. You shut up now. Don't bother me when I'm eating. Jimmy? Uh Jimmy, focus. It's me, the big mean guy. Where is the car? Car? It's it's right uh, right over... Oh, my God, they've left me. They've left me. They must have known something was up. Please don't kill me. Shh, stop talking now. Well, this is just great. Now what? Let's get Jimmy in the car. I'm sure I'll think of something. 
You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. Professor Todd? Professor Todd? Sounds like Mr. Foley caught up with us. Somebody let him in. Professor Todd! Oh, come in, Jim. I hope you understand. We couldn't wait around. Yeah, I understand. Who in blazes are you? The name's Jack Justice. Foley! What have you done? It's okay, Professor. I thought it was trouble, too, but it's okay. Okay? What's wrong with you? Do you know what will happen if this is exposed? Academic ruin, that's what? Yeah, also jail, but that's not going to happen. I told you this was a trick. I said that I didn't lose anything. Yeah, but you also couldn't have Air France announcing your name for the next hour, so you left Jimmy here to take care of everything. And lucky for you, he is a clever boy, aren't you, Jimmy? They aren't the law, Professor. They work for a collector. A collector? That's right, Professor Todd. Had you ever even thought about what you were going to do with the dingus if you ever got your hands on it? Do with it? We are going to conduct our own independent analysis to verify our conclusions. In a motel room? You gotta pick one. Is this a science fair or a heist? Let me help you decide. You stole something insured for $150,000. If the court doesn't know what value to set, they'll go by the insurance. You're looking at some serious jail time. Don't listen to him. Foley said you weren't the law. That's right. Cordophis has been under lock and key for years. You never thought they let him out, and you were about to be publicly humiliated along with all of your little friends. I am seeking to right a taxonomic wrong. Uh-huh. If that was right, you'd have let the specimen go to Dr. Oblonsky. He'd have confirmed your findings, and that would be that. But you knew that's not how it was going to go down. The university would never have allowed me to be humiliated. They have their own reputation to think of. Half their paleontology department would be dragged into this. That's what I told him, sir. I said that, but they said it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. See, right now you haven't proved a thing. And with the one and only specimen of Cordophis missing, it's a mystery that will never be solved. And he will remain the one and only specimen. What are you getting at? The man I work for is very interested in Cordophis. Anything, really, as long as it is totally unique. The collector! Yes, and that is what he collects. The absolutely one-of-a-kind. My partner and I weren't there to escort the specimen to Oblonsky. We were there to steal it. Steal it? Yes. You can't have it examined. It'll ruin you. You can't bring yourself to destroy it. You're a scientist. But if it were locked away, perfectly preserved, but somewhere it could never, ever come back to haunt you, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? Mm, yes. So what do you say? You involve these boys in your caper. The least you can do is let them profit by it. The specimen is incomplete. The museum only sent the skull and pelvic girdle. So I hear. That does reduce the value. Say, twenty grand. Twenty thousand? I... I ought to have fifty. No dice. That's too much out of my cut. It isn't worth my time. I can do thirty if you'll take a check, or twenty-five if you'd rather have cash. Twenty-five thousand! Cash! Professor! Quiet, Foley! All right, stranger. Let's see the money. Uh Uh-uh. Show me the snake and I'll call for it. You'll have it in ten minutes. Jenkins, get the sample. Smart boys. Yes, you are. There you are, Mr. Justice. The ancient remains of a snake with legs. Cordophis. The only one of its kind. What do you say to that? I say you're all pretty stupid. Put your hands up. What? The cloak and dagger games are fun, Professor, but normally we don't pull guns because everybody's got one. 
but you boys don't, do you? So put your hands up. Nice doing business with you. Foley! Don't blame the kid, Todd. You've been stupid since this thing started and you're cutting a break. No cops, no jail time. For a moron like you, that's got to count as a win. Well, Dr. Cord, I, I must say it is quite an alarming story. You needn't be concerned, Dr. Oblonsky. I have no intention of allowing word of this afternoon's exploits to pass any further than your own ears. But I thought that you ought to be aware of the situation. You know, of course, that without proof, I cannot proceed with any sort of disciplinary action against Professor Todd. I've no wish to do so. I hope that this little misadventure will return the professor to the path of academic honesty. Though, to tell the truth, I don't really care what happens to him. But I have no wish to cause damage to the reputation of the university. I appreciate that attitude, Dr. Cord. It does you credit. My father always thought a great deal of this department. And yourself, Dr. Oblonsky. He would not wish to be the cause of posthumous rancor. Non-scientists do so love it when we bicker. They think it somehow proves their delusions. Quite so, but on a more practical level, there are costs associated with research. Tremendous costs. Reputation is the commodity which we have to sell. Reputation brings broader support. Reputation brings in the annual flock of undergraduates with no real academic potential, but four years' worth of tuition to spend. We think of ourselves as pure researchers, but we are simply... Cogs in the great machine that sells bachelor's degrees. Dr. Oblonsky, I'm surprised to hear you talk like this. Forgive me, Susan. It is my years as department head talking. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown, as they say. Particularly when one's royal court includes the bumbling Professor Todd, I presume. And he will have cause to regret this day's work and the dubious professional standards that motivated his original paper, believe me. But I must look at the broader picture. How do you mean? Todd's paper drew a great deal of attention as far as these things go. It is part of a broader scientific debate which rages on far beyond these walls. It is part of a wounded male ego and a deeply unfounded vanity on his part. You know that, and I know that. And in all likelihood, if the conclusions of his paper were to be roundly rejected, everyone would know it. Everyone that cares about an obscure corner of the paleontological world, that is. Yes, of course. Not a large audience, I grant you. But it is from that small crowd that the department and the university draws its reputation. And without that reputation, we are nothing. Dr. Oblonsky, what are you saying? If only you had not succeeded in persuading the British Museum to release the specimen, my dear. The debate might have faded quietly, but now all eyes are on what happens in this lab. I'm deeply sorry. You haven't even examined the specimen yet. And I will. I must, in order to couch my conclusions in terms which can avoid controversy. But you deserve to know the truth. The only way for me to protect this department is for the results of my examination to be inconclusive. Inconclusive? But, Dr. Oblonsky, if Cordovas cannot speak for itself, it could lose its status altogether. Oh, nothing quite as dramatic as all that. At worst, a temporary reclassification as... A subspecies, perhaps. Subspecies? But my father... Would understand. I understand all too well. 
You can come out now, Miss Dixon. Swell. Don't look so shocked, Dr. Oblonsky. I bet you have a dozen leggy blondes secreted all around this office. No? What is this? This is a tape recorder. Kind of a clunky thing, but it works. No, I, I mean... This in the larger sense? We call it a sting. You never really understand the name until you fall for one. Stings, doesn't it? Dr. Oblonsky, this is Miss Dixon, one of the detectives I hired to protect Cordophus. And that's just what we did. Something that Professor Todd's boy said in the car made me think of it. He said the university would never allow Professor Todd to be disgraced. Said his reputation was their reputation and the university would protect it. Looks like he was right. Uh, dear me, how shall I reward him? This is outrageous. No, this is outrageous. We think of ourselves as pure researchers, but we are simply cogs in the great machine that sells bachelor's degrees. Now, I don't know much about paleontology, it's true, and less about academic politics, if such a thing is possible. But I know a dirty secret when I hear one. And the thing about dirty secrets is that even if everybody knows them, you still can't say them out loud. Susan, you can't do this. The university... It may not be quite the moment to appeal to my sense of loyalty, Martin. Everybody's a liar. Everybody's in it for themselves. Everybody's got a back to scratch and a palm to grease. I'm no better than anyone else. But you know what, Doc? When your job is to define the universe and everything in it, you have to be. What are you going to do? It's what you're going to do, Doc. You're going to conduct your examination and write up your findings just as lickety-split as my client says is believable. You're going to dismiss Professor Todd's paper and give him a little smackdown for lousy science. And Cordophis goes back to the museum as its own species, just like it left. But I haven't even made my investigation yet. For all you know, Professor Todd could be right. Maybe he is and maybe he isn't. I'm not paid to be right. I'm paid to win. And oh look, I just did. And that was more or less how the whole thing went down, dear friends. I have no idea what transpired between the girl detective and young Jim Foley. And if you were expecting that sort of salacious detail, you have clearly not been paying attention to these ribald and yet somehow still family-friendly little tales of adventure. I do know that he called the office looking for her every day for a month, and that when he finally came around in person, she elected to sick the dog on him. Given the level of physical conditioning maintained by the crime-fighting dog deluxe, it seems self-evident to point out that Foley survived the incident, but he did take the hint. As for the leggy snake and his all-girl orchestra, it is safe to say that not one word made the papers, and that John Q. Public remains blissfully ignorant of the fact that 75 million years ago some snakes had legs, for reasons of which I remain entirely unaware. It all was, until this telling, one of our more obscure cases. The client, on the other hand, assured us that there was a tremendous flap about the whole thing, and she seemed to feel that we had adequately vindicated and avenged the house of Atreus, or whatever it was we were supposed to be doing. And having kept the world safe for scientific inquiry, or something like that, I felt sufficiently justified in returning to my madcap, unpredictable routine. And thus, fortified with meatloaf special... I drew my hat low, popped my feet on the desk, and closed my eyes. Blackjack Justice, episode 49, Jawbone of an Asp, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Michelle D'Alessandro Hatt, Hans Messerschmidt, Gregory Z. Cook, Ryan Serrow, 
and Scott Moyle. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Sweet Sue has been tied to the railroad tracks. Will our hero save her? Well, of course, the hero always prevails on Thriller Thursdays. I'm John Bell, the hero that rarely prevails in Bells in the Bat Free, the comedy show you can hear every Friday Follies and a bunch of Sunday showcases. Oops, looks like the hero may have been a tad late there.